0: Welcome, my friend. You are listening to Read Clean YA with CJ, the podcast for teens and young adults who want to explore exciting worlds, deep themes, and epic stories without the objectionable content. I'm your host, award-winning young adult author, CJ Malasi, and in this episode, we are going to dive into an author interview with my friend and fellow author, Clint Hall. Clint Hall is a storyteller, speaker, and podcast host with a degree in communications from the University of Georgia. He has been writing stories since middle school, where he spent most of his time in English class creating comic books. Fortunately, his teacher not only allowed it, she bought every issue. Known for narratives that instill a sense of hope, wonder, and adventure, Clint's work has been published across multiple anthologies and magazines, and he was recently named a double finalist for short fiction in the 2021 As a tech writer, he has also authored numerous pieces for IBM and The Weather Company, including articles in partnership with the Masters, Adweek, and Aston Martin Red Bull Racing. Clint Hall, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm sorry. Like I feel like I'm ruining your intro because I'm like kind of laughing the whole time. As much as I do podcasts and everything, I'm not used to talking (laughs) about myself at all. So this is still like really uncomfortable for me. So I'm, I'm I'm trusting you because you are. Way more put together with all of this than I am, so I I do feel like I'm I'm in good hands, but I'm already feeling like I'm like I'm like I'm gonna derail Never. CJ's podcast. Like <laughs> CJ's awesome, well put together, organized podcast, and I'm just gonna come in here and I'm just gonna wreck the thing. So hopefully that doesn't no, happen.
0: No, we're gonna have fun today. I'm excited because we're talking about Clint's debut novel, Steel Fire from the Gods, which by mm. the time this airs will have just released, and it has so many cool elements in it. There's AI, elemental magic. Lots of action. And I know it's hard to imagine how all of these things can go together, but it really does. The AI and elemental magic was such a cool twist. So, Clint, I'll just keep going on and on. So can you stop me and tell me, tell us all a little bit about
1: you and your book? Yeah, you know, um the, the way that I kind of came up with the idea, I've written seven books at this point. This is my debut novel. I've been close to publication a couple others a couple times, uh, never quite there, which is a whole other story. This is certainly the weirdest thing I've ever written. And what's funny is because like right now, like I'm we're recording, people will know that we're recording this ahead of time. So right now, like I'm in kind of the promotion thing. So I'm supposed to be doing these like blogs and such about like how did you come up with the idea? And I can't even remember which came first, but it was one of these two things that came first. So I write about AI for a living, basically. I'm a I'm a copywriter for a tech company. And I was writing about these solutions that we were doing with these uh, vineyard farmers to help them improve both like the quantity and quality of grapes that they were producing for their wine. And so AI was taking in all of this data, like rainfall and soil quality and the topography of the land. I hope I'm using the word topography. I-, I keep using the word topography. I think that that's sounds the right good. word. But anyways, it was taking... Oh, yeah, it sounds good, right? So it was taking in all of these different va- variables about the earth, essentially. And how are they all coming together to produce, you know, whatever outcome, right? More grapes, better grapes, whatever. And I was kind of thinking about how AI takes all of these different variables, sees how they interact, and then sort of measures the interactions, right? And it just occurred to me if magic actually existed, and I mean like old school magic, like a bunch of people around a cauldron throwing in Eye of Newton, whatever, and saying, you know, bubble, bubble, toil, and trouble, or whatever it is. If magic, if there was actually something to that, AI is going to figure it out because AI is analyzing all these natural variables and how they work together for different interactions. And so I started then thinking about, okay, well, how would that work? And I started breaking down all of these different sort of elements into scientific variables. So throwing something into a cauldron became, well, that's actually just the application of heat energy to specific elements and things like magic words. Well, like, well, okay, that would actually then just be sound Mm -hmm. vibrations. So How could all of these different sort of things broken down into scientific components come together, right, to to actually produce magic? And it occurred to me that only AI would be able to figure something like that out. And if if, if any, like, would-be magician or wizard or whatever had ever gotten it right, it would just be a fluke. Yeah. They accidentally got it right. So I kind of had that idea. And then I also have this other un- currently unpublished series in which one of the worlds has magic. Uh, actually, a couple of the worlds have magic. And then another world is in- comprised entirely of, uh, composed entirely of war machines. And I wondered, I was like, I wonder what would happen if the war machines ever got a hold of the magic? Well, that would be wildly unfair. Yeah. And that was kind of where I got the idea for the book. And, and I came up with this line, which was well, two lines. The human alliance knew it was over when the robots started using magic but we fought back anyway. Mm -hmm. And it's a little bit different now, but that's basically the first line of the book. I, I, I tweaked it a little. So that's sort of how I came up with this idea for Steel Fire of the Gods and it kind of made me laugh at first. I was like, "Well, this is this is hopeless. This is wildly unfair." And, and so I just had to go for it. I called my wife and I was like, "I have this super weird idea." And she's like, "No, I think that's great. Let's let's go for it." So nice. Uh, so everything just kind of grew from those. And I I can't remember which of those moments came sure. first, but it was in some order, right? And then I, I just started going.
0: Yeah, it's like the chicken or the egg thing. It doesn't really matter which one happened first. It's the fact that they both came together to produce this crazy cool story.
1: Well, and I have a I, I actually have a terrible memory. <laughs> <laughs> and even even now, I'm, I'm nervous about this podcast because I have a hard time remembering things that are in my own book. And I've read it a bunch of times. Oh yeah, But yeah, so I can't even, I don't, people will ask me like, how did you come up with this? How did you come up with that? And a lot of times the answer is, I don't know where my ideas come from. Uh, necessarily but the truth might be that I, I just simply don't remember right
0: right hey it's okay it's just because you have so many things happening in your brain all the time right I feel like sometimes it's hard hard to keep track of That's what's true. happening next. That yes yep. plus you have little mm. kids as well right so that
1: I have a we have a five-year-old and a three-year-old I think uh, they yes. they are
0: responsible for stealing some brain cells uh, you totally, know totally
1: so. <laughs> totally. yeah absolutely yeah, I I blame them as much as as much yes. as possible uh for, for that kind of yeah. thing so yeah
0: yeah so all of these things came together but but if you could, you just give us like a quick summation. What is the story about? Or even books that are similar, so that people can get an idea for your story and see if it's something that's for them.
1: Yeah, you know, so all that stuff is kind of the fun stuff, yeah. right? So w- when someone is asking me really quickly what the book is about, I always tell them like, well, if, if Terminator learned magic and then used it against us, but that's not really what the story's about. The story is actually about this character who is undergoing a crisis of faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name's Gunnar Graves. And he was part of the human alliance, which is the resistance, right, to these machines. And he grew up in a family that sort of did everything right from a faith perspective. You know, they read their Bible, they prayed, they were in community, they served others. And then they got totally annihilated. Mm. And they got annihilated by an enemy force that is completely godless, right, the, with, with these machines, and uh, not only was that force completely godless, but it was essentially using what you would probably consider God's power because it is the power over the world. Yeah. Right? All of these elemental forces, you know, fire and lightning and water and air and, and, and dirt and everything. And how's that fair? Right. Mm. How is that fair to him? That, that doesn't make sense. You know, if, if anybody was God's people, his people was God's people, you know, yeah. and so he's struggling with that. Now he's he's kind of the lone survivor. He's now a, a prisoner of the machine's. And he's spending most of his days not trying to save humanity, not trying to figure out. He just wants his revenge. Mm. And he's trying to sort of harness uh, what he remembers from that one terrible night to see if he can do it. Yeah. Like he, he remembers, and this is not a spoiler because this is like one of the first things that happens in the book. He remembers the fire mage that that annihilated everything that he ever loved and cared mm. about. And he's trying to recreate it. He's trying to become like his enemy in order to just, just to take his revenge. And, and the truth is he probably doesn't really care if he dies in the process because he's that wounded yeah. and he's that sort of hopeless, but he can't help the lingering shreds of faith that are still inside him. So that's really what this story is about. I mean, it's about this person going through the difficult question of how can a good God let bad things happen. Yeah. And finding hope in a hopeless world. It's very much a story, though, also about that often the things that we think are the worst parts of ourselves, the things that we, he has, he has some dark secrets, as do some other characters that are in the book. And that the things that we are most ashamed of about ourselves or, or just most wounded about in ourselves can actually become our greatest strengths, but specifically when we use them to help other people. Mm. Now all that said, and I know that sounds pretty heavy. This is also a very fast-paced, simple action book about magic versus you know dueling magic systems and crazy magic wielding robots and super other weird groups uh, uh-huh. in this world gone mad that I won't mention because I don't want to spoil anything. But it's not it's not just the good guys and the bad guys. Like there's a lot of other stuff going on here too. And again, it is the most I had one editor call it "cuckoo bananas" <laughs> uh, book that I've ever, and, and it meant that as a compliment. Yeah book that I've ever written. So there's, there's all of that crazy stuff.
0: And I can attest to that because I am in the middle of reading this book right now. And there are so many different elements. And you have that deeper faith struggle and that what do you do? How does a good God let bad things happen? That question yeah. that I think yeah. is universal, that throughout sure. generations, people have asked that question as they look at a broken, right. hard world. So you have that really difficult theme that you're wrestling through, but it's just one thing after another happening in the story. It is very action packed for anyone who's like, Oh, I don't want to just like stew there. It's, It's really pretty how life is, right? Life keeps happening as we're trying to address these big things going on in our hearts, in our lives, like losing faith or family and that struggle with loss and questioning God. That's stuff that happens as we're fighting through the dailiness of life. And I feel like you did that so well, at least through the parts I've read so far of the story, you keep it moving. But also we know that Gunnar is struggling with this and we can, as the reader, be asking some of those questions right alongside of him and watching. And see how you unfold those answers and tackle those hard things.
1: In early reviews, I've been getting some credit for that sort of thing. And, and the, the truth is, I understand why people believe in the muse, that they believe in sort of divine inspiration, because all of that was pretty unintentional. I'm the kind of writer that like I, I do study a lot of craft books and I go to conferences and I listen to all of those things. But when I actually when I actually sit down to start writing, I kind of forget all of it and I just sort of go. Yeah. And I let whatever happens happen. Now I, I do, I'm a pretty extensive outliner. I do character sheets. I do all that kind of stuff, but I'm not thinking about really any of those things once I actually start writing. So it is sort of only by the grace of God that this part of the story has come through. Mm-hmm. And to me, this is the best part of writing. Like when you feel, like, did you ever feel this way that, that you have an idea that you're like, I didn't think of that. Yes. That, that wasn't me consciously trying to write. And some people will say, well, some people will say this is divine inspiration. Some people will say the muse. Some, some people will say it's God, which you could basically say the same thing. Some people will say, well, no, it's actually your subconscious. You didn't think that you were thinking about mm. it, but you actually were. I don't necessarily think that those are mutually exclusive personally. Right. That's a whole other very long discussion, but that's certainly where the, how this came about now. Once I recognized this in, in subsequent revisions, I started trying to do things like mapping his external journey to his internal sure. journey, right? And like I had tons of whiteboards with, okay, where's his faith at at this point? Where's it at at this point? And then how am I sort of reflecting that or contrasting that with the other elements that are going on and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. But yes, yeah, so the, the truth is that what, what the story is really about was not, I, I didn't set out to write that, sure. you know, at, at the beginning, that was something that happened much more, much more naturally. Is that, is that what you do? Yeah. Or are you kind of the person who's like, I'm going to tell a story. About you know this internal struggle or this theme or, or whatever
0: I think it depends on the book I'm writing, and I think sometimes it's me wanting to wrestle through a deeper theme or struggle personally and think through it and I love doing that through story because I think story can express yeah. it really well, but there's other times where I've written the whole book and then come back to it in edits and rewrites and been like. I had no idea that theme was going to be the one, or I started yeah, right. thinking it was going to be one thing. And then by the time the book was done, it was something totally different and just saw that that's how God directed it. It was just going to be different, sure. you know, and that's always my hope and prayer that God would put his hand on it and lead me by his grace through my bumbling <laughs> writing. As <a laughs> That's the best part
1: though, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the part that makes it fun. Definitely, You know, that like that, that's, I don't know, like that's why I do it at least. Do you write, do you write with a reader in mind? I do. Yeah, you do. Uh huh. I should. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't. I should. And it's it's great advice. And and all this kind of stuff. I don't do that. Yeah. And I know that I probably should. And maybe I will. Sure. Because uh, this again, this is only my debut. But so wait, so wait, while you're writing, are you like, how far do you take that, though, when you're writing with a specific reader? Are you thinking about things that your reader might be going through? Or is it more like, my readers of this genre expect these tropes in this. And so I'm going to either serve that or I'm going to flip it on its head. Like, sure. like how, how far do you take that when you do that?
0: So I tend to take it more on the theme side of things. What are, what are my readers struggling with? What are they looking at the world as teens and young adults in a crazy world where Everything feels like it's it's going wrong around them. What are they, yeah. at? what questions are they asking? What struggles are they facing? Yeah. And wanting to address those things. So it's less the tropes marketing side of things and much more sure. the deeper, hey, let's give you an opportunity to escape, uh, discover something new and kind yeah. of find a truth that you could take back with you into your life because your life is crazy and I can understand that.
1: It's still personal to you though. Definitely. Even though it's directed toward an audience that I mean I'm I'm sure you're a YA reader. Yeah. You see how I'm hijacking your podcast? This is what I do. I, I get it. on other people's podcasts and then I start <laughs> asking them a bunch of questions. I'm sorry. But but I am curious because you're a YA author. Sure, yeah. I am not a YA well, I, I don't know debatable. Right. Steve Lobby says I'm an adult science fiction author, so we'll go with that. Okay, okay. You... Well, it's weird because I would say that you are not necessarily a YA like demographic. Like if we were to chart out the sort of like this is this is the age group, I assume you're a little bit older than a typical. Although most YA readers, or at least a lot of YA readers, are adults as well. Right. So, but I guess I wonder though if even though you're writing for a specific audience, though you're still finding ways to make it personal to you. Even though perhaps maybe some of these struggles are things that you might have moved beyond, or or am I reaching in the wrong direction?
0: Definitely. So I worked with young adults and teens for many years. So I think that's a lot of the reason. So I am older than that, but I seek to still take the things that I listened from them and bring it into. And since you mentioned your book, Steve Lobby called it you know, adult, but Gunner is 22, so he's a young adult. Yep. And I think yeah. that a lot of your themes and the things in Steal Fire from the Gods have things, elements that will really resonate with younger readers, with teens and I think young so adults as well. And I think specifically that deeper theme of faith and losing faith coming from a family that everything seems like it should be pointing you to God and then yep. life hitting and feeling crushing and that weight. now. Now, how do I believe in that God in all of this? Right. And I think that is something many young people are struggling with today. And it's a theme yeah. that really they're looking for in their books.
1: Well, and it's it's messy yeah. because it's one thing if you could point to something and say, here's where I fell away. Here's where I walked away from God or or whatever, right? Here's where I turned my back yeah. on, on God. That's not Gunnar's story. Yeah. It's not, you know, at least... When everything falls apart, that wasn't the story. Sure. Again, they they did it all right. They did it all the way they were supposed to. And the the truth, the the, the brutal truth is, sometimes that's what happens. Mm. You know, like it, it would be a little bit easier if you could point to him, like, well, okay, well, here's where it's my fault. Yeah. Right. And of course, we're, look, we're we're all sinners. We all fall of short. Of course, right. Of course. But oh, here's where I made the wrong decision. But sometimes, it, sometimes you don't have that that you can point to. Yeah. And having faith is really, really hard. And the other thing that I've, I've come to realize, and this is where I think Gunner is, you can know something is true, but not feel that it's true. Yeah. And it's a lot easier to convince your mind than your heart. And, and I've gone through a lot of things where I've gone through this. I think this was important for me. I think, I, so I didn't grow up in church. Um, my parents were supportive. We would go to church you know, Christmas, Easter, and then sure. we would kind of like go for like, 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 like almost like stints. So like, Oh, okay. hey, We're the, the halls are back in church and you know, a couple months and then we kind of you know, drift off, whatever. So I came to faith kind of late and kind of on accident. I started going to church, not because I felt some spiritual longing, but because they invited me to come play basketball. And so that's why I started going to church. Cause I had to go to church to be on the church basketball team and it changed my life. Yeah. Um, so I think for a long time though, my faith was a lot more emotional because sure. I didn't have a lot of those sort of fundamental, like Sunday school type teachings. I was the kid in the high school group where, you know, the, the youth minister would, would be like, okay, everybody turned to Psalms. And I'm just kind of like, I'm kind of frozen. I had a Bible, right. but and, and like one of my buddies would just lean over and be like, it's kind of in the middle, right. you know, like and, and that was me. So for a long time, my faith was a lot more emotional than uh, academic. And I've gone through a season, certainly, where the the truth is I I did not always feel the presence of God, Mm. but I was reading things and studying things that my faith became a lot more academic. And I think that was important. Yeah. But it can also be very difficult when there's something that, again, sort of academically you believe to be true. You know, you, you know, it's true. You want to convince your heart to feel it and you just can't. Yeah. And that is a very difficult time to go through. And this was something I went through a little bit later, but I bet a lot of teenagers probably are experiencing, you know, that kind of thing because so much change is going on at that point. You would know this better than me. So I don't know if you, I don't know if I'm off off base or or what, uh, with, with that sort of observation. No,
0: I, I think you're right. And I believe that, especially in the late teens and early twenties, that time of life is a lot of making things your own. It's who am I going to be? What am I going to do with my life? And Right. That's when our faith needs to become our own as well. And there are crises of our faith, those dark nights of the soul, so to speak, in our yeah. lives where we kind of hit right. rock bottom. And that's when it is it is the rubber meeting the road, so to speak. Am I going to choose to walk by faith and not how I feel right now and choose to believe what I know is true? Or am I going to walk away from it? Because everything is yeah. just too hard. And too hard. God can work in both of those situations. He can bring people back even if they walk away. I believe sure. that completely. But it is, I think, in that time of life where we're wrestling through really hard questions. And it's a hard season. And everyone looks at young people and asks you what you want to be when you grow up. And my first thing that I like to say is you don't have to give them an answer. They don't know what they want to be when they grow up either. But yeah, I, right. I digress. Right. <laughs> but uh, So I think that... This-
1: no, this is my fault. I got us off on a tangent. No, no,
0: I love it because I think this is such an important theme and this is what I love to talk about. I love going deep on books because I say it all the time, but I think stories can show us deeper themes, deeper realities in a way that allows our hearts and minds to hear it when, you know, someone doesn't want to get preached it, you know, but they'll, they'll read it. They'll listen to the story.
1: So, um, I'm, I'm also a, I'm also a worship musician and, uh, there's this song, the lyrics were you took what the enemy meant for evil. And you turned it for good. Now, again, I do not have the sort of extensive um, foundational knowledge that a lot of people sort of grow up with and, and, and almost maybe almost take for granted. Yeah. Now, I've done a lot of Bible study you know, since like you know, since my late teens and such. But I, when I heard, okay, you took what the enemy meant for evil and you turned it for good. I was like, oh, well, that must be Scripture, obviously. And I just assumed, like, oh, it's probably just something that, you know, as worship musicians often do, oh, they probably pulled it out of one of Paul's letters sure. and, you know, you, you put a melody on it. And, okay, great. And I, I was digging into it because I had to write a blog about my book. And I realized it's actually something that Joseph says to his brothers, yeah. uh, but it, it's a little bit different version of what he says to them. But but, but essentially that you know like well, you, you did you did something evil, but God used it for good. Yeah. And and I loved that it was actually instead of being just great advice from Paul, which of course a lot, a lot of great advice from Paul, yes, of course. But I liked that it was more in the context of a story mm-hmm. of something that happened with, with Joseph and his brothers because Joseph didn't do anything wrong either. And think of the terrible things that happened to him, yeah. and what he was able to to achieve from that. To then also then turn around and rescue the people <laughs> who, yeah. who did the horrible things to him, and that also kind of became an important theme of the story. And a a very it is a very difficult lesson to learn, but something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. I, honestly, since I wrote the book. That it's not that necessarily, I don't think it's necessarily true that God makes the bad things happen, but that God can take what the the, the things that were, because we have, we have free will. We have the ability to choose to do an evil thing, but that God can still take that evil thing and bring something good out of it. And that's a very difficult lesson to learn, especially when you haven't seen the good part yet. Definitely. you Definitely. Know, when you haven't seen the fruits come from it yet, to believe that that can happen. But then even more so to understand that the good thing that comes from it isn't even the greatest blessing. The greatest blessing is the fact that it's a miracle that something good came from it and that that miracle is reminding you of God's presence. Yeah. That reminder of God's presence is... More of a blessing than even the good thing itself, if that makes sense. Definitely. But that is a really, really tough lesson to learn and to have faith in when you're still kind of walking through it.
0: Definitely. It's that idea in some ways of like Peter walking on the water and in that moment where he looks around and sees everything, it didn't matter that he'd walked on the water. It still felt like the craziness all around him was going to drown him. And it starts to, you right. know, but then Jesus right. meets him there and pulls him out. And it's Right. It's hard to believe in the middle of the crazy that Jesus is going to pull us out. But like you said, the most beautiful blessing in all of that is that God is with us no matter how insane things become. And when he reminds us of that, like Joseph, he had a lot of years of really bad stuff before he watched that become good. Or Daniel, you know, getting taken to Babylon, everything gets ripped away from him. Here's this yeah. young kid not even willing to do what they're telling him because he's still gonna follow God, even though everything around him right. said not to. And he Everything he wasn't yeah. exalted but at the point where he started to follow God. He chose to follow God despite the fact everything around sure. him was falling apart. And I think that's those stories and examples are the things that can give us hope, but it is so hard in the middle of the so of this struggle so to choose to trust God and follow him there.
1: Boy, I love the Peter example too. I might steal that uh, if you don't Go mind. Because <laughs> that is such a great example of this point too, because because it, it makes me wonder if like, you know, when he gets back with the boys, if they're like, man, you walked on water. That must have been really cool. And it's like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was really cool that I got to walk on water, but it was even cooler to the, the lesson that I learned from it. Yeah. Like, that was the better part, yes. you know? Yes. As awesome as it was to walk on water. And I I love that. I I love that example. That's a much cleaner, simpler example. So thank you. Hey, go
0: for it. I love it. I just love, like you said, I think one of the things I love about the Bible is that there are these stories and there are these things that they do show truth in a way that right. resonates because we see it happen. And we're, I think God made us to love and understand story in a special way because sure. he's a creative God and he is writing the greatest yeah. story of redemption throughout from the beginning of time. Right. And so that's why I love books and stories because we can do that in a smaller way and demonstrate these things. And I think it's fantastic that you've chosen or rather that God led you into showing this theme because like I said earlier, I think this is an important one for so many people, whether they be teens or in their fifties, trying to wrestle through, God, where are you in all of this insanity in this world? What yeah. does this look like? How can I follow you here?
1: Right. Well and and also because especially for the people who Perhaps have been following God for a while and in their minds, at least faith, understand they're not perfect, but in their minds, at least faithfully. Yeah. And then something bad still happens. That's tough. Yeah. Right. And that's a lot of, that's a lot of what it is. So, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah for sure. Yeah. So I, I love all of this. We're getting closer to the end of our time. So I just want to turn a little bit and talk about you as a, a person and author. So you craft these incredible stories with all these crazy action elements. But what do you like to do when you're not writing these kinds of books?
1: Oh, my goodness. Uh, so yeah, when I'm not writing, I, I do play a lot of music. I'm a, I'm a bassist. I spent most of my 20s playing in hard rock bands and that kind of stuff. So I still love to do that basketball is my peaceful, happy place. So I try to get out every day if I possibly can. And I'm often like listening to Christian meditations or even just like scripture sermons or whatever, while I'm playing basketball. And that's kind of like my, that's kind of like my, my sanctuary. And what's great about that. And I think everybody needs this. I'm a very driven person. So Uh obviously with writing, I'm always trying to get better. Even with music, I'm always trying to get better. Basketball is like one thing that I, even though I practice a lot, I kind of don't care if I get any better. It's just a thing that I do. And that's important for a person like me to have something I do sort of just because I love it without those like kind of additional like ambitions or drives or whatever. Obviously I spend, I love spending time with my wife and children. We are... Big on you know getting outside and and hiking, and you know my, my boys are young enough that i'm honestly still discovering what it is that they like to do, yeah, uh, whether it be you know are they into movies or are they into music, or are they into sports, We do all of those things, and I'm still just trying to sort of understand who they are i'm having a hard time finding the balance between sharing with them the things that I love but also not imposing it on them sure you know it's okay for me to be me and to share the things that I like with them, but I also don't want to force it on them if it's not who they are. So, uh, and then of course I, I also, I love podcasting. I have a podcast that I do twice a month and that is, again, it's like, it's selfish. It's purely for me. I don't, I don't really think about my audience at all. (laughs) I have people on who I think are interesting and I have conversations with them and I just hope that it's that if someone is interesting to me, then they're also going to be interesting to the people who listen to my podcast. So uh,
0: we will have a link to your podcast, so people can go and check mm-hmm. it out because it's the experience, right? Is what it's called. It's called
1: the Experience Conversations with Creatives. There you go.
0: Okay, so we'll have a link mm-hmm. to that. And before we wrap things up, can you just let readers know where they can find you and your book, where you hang out online?
1: Yes. Uh, yeah. So it's it's easy to find me. Just go to clinthall.com. Go to Instagram, uh, which I, is clint hall on Instagram. You can find my book pretty much everywhere you would find books online. So, you know, Steel Fire from the Gods, you can look on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Christianbook.com. So it's easy to find all that stuff. And again, if you type the Experience Conversations with Creatives into your favorite podcast platform, it should be there. If it's not there, let me know and I will get it there. But you can also just – the easiest thing is probably just to go to my website, again, clinthall.com, and all the links are there to my social channels and to buy the book and to all that, do all that other good stuff.
0: Fantastic. So we'll have links to all of those things in the show notes. And – Clint Hall, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It was a blast getting to have this conversation with you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Clint Hall. Clint and I met this past summer at a writer's conference, and it was fun to get to know him better and chat about his book in this interview. Since recording this interview, I have finished reading Steel Fire from the Gods, and I must say, I really enjoyed this story. As Clint and I discussed, the protagonist is a little older than traditional young adult protagonists, but he's still young and the questions explored throughout the story are truly powerful. This book is a page-turner and loaded with adventure and a lot of action. If you're looking for a high action, thrilling read with AI and elemental magic, you are going to love this story. As I already mentioned, the protagonist is a little bit older, and this book deals with death difficult questions, and some scary moments. If you or a young friend or family member are more sensitive or possibly not quite ready to address some of these questions, it would be a good idea to have a trusted friend or parent or guardian read the book first. Clint has also graciously agreed to be part of our epic Christmas giveaway by including a copy of Steal Fire from the Gods. So be sure to head over to the giveaway page and enter for your chance to win this book along with other amazing goodies in the Christmas giveaway. Links to everything we've talked about today are provided in the episode show notes, which you can find in your favorite podcasting app or at readcleanya.com next week i'll be talking with young adult author victoria lynn author of once i knew if you're looking for a sweet cottagecore fantasy without magic then be sure to tune in for our interview even if this isn't your typical genre i think you'll really enjoy my conversation with victoria she is a sweetheart and we had a great time chatting Thank you so much for listening to Read Clean YA with CJ. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend so they can discover exciting, clean, young adult books too.